gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers. A theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast-loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit telerik.com slash xamarin dash gone mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. How you been, John? It's been a few weeks. Yeah, it's been a little while. Looking forward to getting back into it. And I, I just got to throw out there right now, I did the unthinkable. I finally have gone back to an iPhone, at least for a temporary experiment. So, you know, this uh, is a mobile podcast, so I, th- I thought that might seem relevant. And I think we really need to do a show on on Android and iOS very soon now because it's it's been a yeah. long time coming. Yeah, when I saw your blog post this morning, I was like, "Oh man, I I know I'm gonna want to just spend this whole episode just ranting at you about your <laughs> you're eventually switching back to to be one of us." But we'll have to save that for uh for for another episode. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it, we it's ha- a temporary experiment, so it could go wrong. Well, there's still room <laughs> oh, for error. It can only go right. Um, but yeah, but it's been a few weeks since we've done one of these together. I, unfortunately, you weren't able to to get down to New York for for MS Connect, where where I got to bug Joseph Hill and and a bunch of other fine folks about some things. Um, next next time we do one of these, we'll have to find a way to get you down. Absolutely, time time will hopefully be on my side next time. Yeah, but hopefully I'm I'm well rested on my end too. I actually just got back from uh, a conference down in the Dominican Republic last weekend. That was. Um, I've decided that all conferences that I speak at now have to be in the Caribbean. Uh, it's it's just lovely. I don't I don't know what's up with all these .NET conferences in like frigid places or you know Seattle or something. Like they should all be down there. So did you you know how does that really affect your your speaking duties? Because I'd imagine, and I think I saw some pictures of you just sitting by the pool. I'm I'm not sure how much work got done. <laughs> Maybe oh, that's there's, why there's they're a lot of work. there. Yeah, yeah. I I think I did a great job, John. <laughs> <laughs> It does. I, it, it it does admittedly put you in, in a good mindset, a nice relaxed mindset going into a talk, especially a talk where, um, you know, two thirds of the sessions at this conference were in Spanish. So I was a little apprehensive of, of how my English session would do, but went well. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> it is. It is. I'll, I'll get you invited next year, too. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I think I think that's enough banter. We're making our, our awesome guest here just kind of sit while while we you know talk about random stuff. Uh, so so for this episode, we're we're going to talk about something you know a, a framework and and a topic that we generally don't touch on too much on this show. You know, focusing on a lot of native stuff. Um, you know, with the more classic frameworks. But I'm excited to to welcome Justin Willis onto the show to to talk about Ionic, who's really been doing a lot of cool work in this space. So thanks for joining us, Justin. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm going to throw you the the obvious softball just to start this thing off. So, you know, starting starting from zero here, like what the heck is Ionic? Yeah, so Ionic is, a, I like to think of it as basically a, a UI toolkit that gives you all these cool components that, that look really nice. Um, they look like, you know, if you have an Android device, which by the way, that's like the real device, right? iOS, I don't know what that is. Uh-oh. But uh, <laughs> if you have an Android device, you know, it looks like material design components. If you run the app on an iPhone, it looks like iOS. Um, uh, Windows 10, it has the nice Windows 10 interface. Um, and yeah, so we have those set of nice UI components. And then we also have a CLI that wraps Cordova um, and allows you to build... Um, I don't really like to call them hybrid apps. I like to call them native apps. Um, but it allows you to build apps that you can ship to the Play Store and the App Store. And, um, and you know, people can install just like a traditional native app. Um, but it allows you, you know, with this one code base, you can do that. Um, and also, since it is web-based, so it's all just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, you can also do something that traditional, like, native-focused frameworks can't do, which is, like, deploy as a progressive web app, um, deploy to the desktop as we're using Electron, um, just deploy as a regular old, you know, responsive web app that looks cool on desktop and mobile. Um, yeah, all because it's just web-based and, and uh, yeah, runs pretty much anywhere the web runs, which is everywhere from, you know, my Xbox One to my phone to my laptop, et cetera. So it's, it's been a little while since I've done anything with Cordova. So I'm really curious, like what, what exactly do, you said you're using Cordova. So what does Ionic do on top of Cordova? What is the difference kind of there? 
Definitely. So Cordova is basically the, the thing that allows um, you to call data functionality from JavaScript. So for example, um, a lot of this stuff is actually just built into the browser nowadays, but something like um, uh, like the fingerprint scanner on an Android device or on an um, iPhone, um, there's no web API to actually like allow you to interact with that. But there are native APIs on the device that you know normally you would call from Java or Swift, um, but Cordova allows you to call those same things from JavaScript using Cordova plugins. So you can kind of think of, um, I like to think of Cordova um, like on an Android device. It's basically Chrome, but without the Chrome. So it's like, you know, the rendering engine and the JavaScript engine from Chrome um, sitting there running your app. Um, and then it allows you to have this bridge between JavaScript side and native side. Um, Ionic is what makes your app look nice on top of that. So, you know, traditionally, if you started a Cordova app, um, you boot it up on your device and you're, you're greeted with a white screen which is, you know, just like the browser screen. And then you have to sit there and make all those components yourself. Um, you know, it's going to be sitting right alongside native apps. So you want it to look like, you know, what the user traditionally um, is expecting when they open like an app on their Android device. Um, so Ionic takes away all that work. So if you're like me and CSS is just not your thing, and no matter how hard you try, you cannot design something that looks even half good. Um, Ionic, you know, gives you all these pre-built components that, that, that allows you to build an app that looks and feels like an app that people, you know, has that UX that people expect, um, but it's just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So you don't have to learn Java. You don't have to learn Swift or Objective-C, which I don't even like to like look at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, build build an app that it feels like a native app. It, it you know, it for all intents and purposes to the end user is a native app. Right. So then, you know, whether you want to call them hybrid apps or, or native apps or, or that sort of thing, you know, the there's a few different frameworks out there that, you know, like Ionic and, and some other ones doing similar things that kind of take some different approaches for what happens with that JavaScript and, you know, HTML that you're writing. So in the case of Ionic, are you doing any sort of transformations from, you know, say a button in HTML to uh, say a UI button or a button on Android or something like that so that they are an actual native button? Or is it purely that Cordova web view that you're getting? Yep. So um, we made a bet early on um, to go all in on the web. Um, so we've always been, you know, 100% web. We think that the web is, I mean, it is the largest platform out there. It's, you know, larger than Android and iOS. Um, you know, the web, like I said, it runs on everything from like the menus that the menu at McDonald's is actually a Polymer app built into, you know, a web browser. Um, everything from my Xbox computer, uh, mobile phone, etc. Um, so we made a, a bet early on to, to go 100% on the web. That way, you know, you you can Cordova obviously is our bread and butter and you know making these these apps that you can ship to the app store, but um also allows you to deploy the same apps to anywhere the web runs. So if we went more like the route of like you know translating like an HTML button to where it's actually like a native button that you're just interacting with through JavaScript, um, we wouldn't really be able to do that. Um, so yeah, we're 100% web. The button that you click on an Ionic app is an HTML button just like on a website. Um, it's just styled and has some functionality to to look like a, a native button, like what you would expect the button to look like on that device. So I, I guess like that's probably the the big differentiator, or one of the big differentiators between something like React Native. Um, Definitely. Yep. Can you maybe speak a little bit like how, what what maybe you'd be similar to React and how you differ from them? Um, yeah. So I mean, React from so currently we're built on top of Angular. Um, I'll go into a little bit later about some cool things we're doing. Uh, yeah, go into that a little bit later. But um, so, you know, we're built on top of Angular. Angular is a web framework. React is a web framework. Uh, you know, you can build a, a, a really nice app with React and ship it to the web. Um, you can do the same thing with Ionic. You can build a really nice, you know, PWA or web app and ship that to the web too. Um, so, I mean, similarities, we're, we're both technically web frameworks. Um, so, you know, we both can ship to the web. Um, React um, for their like mobile app, like actually getting that from the app store or play store. They chose to go the native route, uh, native route, React Native. Um, we think React Native is super cool. Um, you know, it's people have built some really nice apps with it. Um, Ionic just, you know, we decided all in on the web because we believe that, you know, we want people to be able to use Ionic um, outside of just mobile apps, outside of you know an app you get from the Play Store or something like that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, between us and React, we're both web frameworks, um, and the React Native and Ionic. You know, if you ship a Cordova app with Ionic. Same end goal, you know, get an app into the Play Store that someone can use, just different ways to get to that end goal. 
So I'm curious what the the original inspiration was, if you know, for basing Ionic on Angular as opposed to any of the other frameworks that are out there where I know at least originally Angular didn't always have the best rep for for performance, even on a a desktop um, machine, you know. You could have, in theory, achieved similar things with an Ember or React or any of these other ones. So I'm just curious why why Angular was the the decision there. Definitely. Um, so it's actually it's actually a pretty cool story. So we originally started out. Um, there was this product called Kodaka, which was like a drag and drop jQuery mobile kind of thing. Um, so you know, it, so Ionic started at this like kind of uh, like weird kind of point at the web. So Ionic started to become a thing when like jQuery mobile was the real thing, and that was like components that you could like you know, build and would like look decently nice on a, on a phone um, and, and work, you know, it, it got the job done. Right. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, I like jQuery as much as the other person, but it wasn't the ideal experience we were looking for. Um, so at the time, you know, Ionic started to, so the original, you know, Max, Ben and uh, Adam uh, originally started to look at like, okay, how can we build these components that people can just like, you know, plop ion button into an HTML file and boom, there's a nice design button. Um, Angular was, you know, the, the really big thing at the time. So React wasn't really a thing yet. Um, Ember was, but it just wasn't as big as Angular at the time. Um, AngularJS, when it first came out, was freaking huge. Um, so that's what we decided to go to. You know, it's backed by Google, which is a, a big company with just oodles of money. Um, you know, it's not going to go away. Um, so, yeah, they decided to go with Angular, and that's kind of where we, uh, why we went with Angular. Um, and then, you know, now... Um, we're running on Angular 2 or technically Angular 5 uh, with the latest release. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, we we always, we had a good experience with Angular. Obviously, it had some issues, you know, performance issues and stuff like that. Um, the old Ionic 1 code base, we have we put a ton of work into making, you know, making Angular work on a mobile device as, as, as best it could. People have built, you know, like Swarkit, um, Untapped, uh, Pacifica, et cetera, big apps that tons of people use, um, et cetera, with it. Um, so, you know, we were pretty happy with Angular. So when Angular 2 came out and we worked very closely with the Angular team, we signed on super early, um, really, really early when things were kind of <laughs> crazy and broken. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we stuck with it all the way up till now when, um, you know, Ionic Angular is running on Angular 5. Um, some cool story, too. Um, we're actually, um, and I'll go into this later on once we get past, like, what Ionic is, et cetera. But uh, we're actually making a move to web components now. Um, and I'll go into that a little bit later why we're doing that. Nice. And and without wanting to derail it too much, but just out of, out of curiosity, like was there for, say, a developer working on top of Ionic, was there a similar sort of massive shift they had to make in terms of the the design of their apps going from I, whatever version Ionic was on on Angular 1 to whatever version Ionic is on now with Angular 5? Because I know that was one of those big, Definitely. you know, big deals in the developer community of Angular developers. Definitely. Um. So, um, so kind of our, our goal at Ionic is always to make like, I mean, I preach about this on my Twitter every day. Like our, our number one goal is to make things easy. Right. So like one of the, one of the reasons that we did stick with the web is because HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, we, we think, you know, there's tons of people that already know how to make websites and stuff. And, you know, our goal is to get them to move, be able to move to this mobile space as easy as possible. Um, it is true that between AngularJS and Angular 2, there were some pretty big changes there, I will totally admit. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want to update to, like, if you have an old Ionic 1 app, um, updating to Ionic 2, it is going to take some some engineering work for sure. Um, we think the benefits of Ionic 2 over Ionic 1 is definitely worth it. Um, Angular 2 is, is not perfect, um, but its performance on mobile is a lot better than AngularJS was, especially from, like, a runtime performance aspect. Um, change detection habits faster. Not going to go into super technical details, but it's a it's a much better framework. Um, so we do think that it is worth it. Um, but we we still do some maintenance on Ionic One. So we did an Ionic One update. Uh, I don't know. I guess a couple of months ago now um, to fix a, a kind of a mission critical bug. And there are some still some successful apps out there on Ionic One. Um, if you just really don't want to make that leap, um, but that's also kind of why we're going to web components too. And I'll, like I said, I'll talk about that later too. Um, is to try to make that 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 move a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, we it, it it is a big jump to go from Ionic one to Ionic two. But uh, we think that the benefits do outweigh the uh, the engineering time that it takes to make that jump. 
Right. And then the, the version of Angular that you're shipping inside of here, is that just vanilla Angular or do you have to do any sort of modifications or fork of that? Yep. Nope. So it's it's just vanilla Angular. It's, you know, whatever the Angular team ships. Um, so the latest Ionic release is running Angular 5. Um, and um, there, there have been some breaking changes between like, so one of the cool things I like about Ionic is um, Angular has had some breaking changes over the versions, um, but we've been able to kind of smooth those over and, uh, you know, provide a, a good... So the jump from Ionic 1 to Ionic 2 is kind of a big jump, but, you know, Ionic 2 up to 3.8 something that we're on now, um, we've been able to kind of smooth over a lot of those those breaking changes that Angular um, did. So, uh, yeah, we're shipping the latest vanilla Angular, um, but we do have some infrastructure on top to make it more, uh, yeah, mobile-focused and uh, kind of easy, um, kind of the Ionic, put the Ionic spin on it. But, yeah, at the end of the day, anything you can do in vanilla Angular, you can do in Ionic. Nice. So yeah, so let's dig into to some like, you know, component type stuff and, and layout. So like if, you know, I've installed Ionic now, um, and we, we may talk a little bit later about what that sort of onboarding process looks like, but let's say that I, I have my environment ready to go. Like, what is it? What is the experience like? Like, what am I, what kind of code am I writing? Am I writing just regular, you know, HTML that I'd write for the web? Am I using some, you know, special syntax or components that Ionic gives? What does that look like? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so first, I'll, I'll kind of dive into the kind of the biggest one. So we do use TypeScript. So if, if, if you're familiar with Angular 2+, Plus, um, they originally, I think they still technically do support like JavaScript. You can use vanilla JavaScript. But the uh, development experience using TypeScript with Angular is a much better experience. Um, so you do write TypeScript. And for anyone who doesn't know what TypeScript is, um, it's the same like JavaScript that you, know, you learn and, and, and write pr- probably every day. Um, but it does have types added onto it. Um, so you hit, there's these optional types that you can add. So if you're used to a, a typed language like a Java, um, you could say like, okay, this value is going to be a string or this value is going to be a Boolean. So either, you know, true or false. Um, so TypeScript allows you to do that um, with JavaScript. And what that enables is some cool like editor features such as IntelliSense. Um, and basically it just tries to keep you from shooting yourself in the foot uh, as much as possible. Um, so I, I like to think of like TypeScript as like, if you buy into it and the cool thing is you don't have to like you don't have to type any like you don't have to put types anywhere and it's, it's just modern javascript at the end of the day but if you do type your stuff and you can you can work up to it like you know it's for some projects i only have a few types for some initial critical things and others you know i'll be strongly typing everything it just kind of depends on what i'm doing um which i think is cool different from like java like java you're either typing everything you're you know you're not doing anything um but uh, yeah, you can type everything and then you can say, um, this keeps f- from happening like runtime bugs instead of you know running it in the browser and then crap, there's a bug. Um, you know, you're, it catches you at uh, compile time or if you use a cool editor like, editor like VS Code or something like that, it actually catches you right there in the editor and tells you live like, hey, you're passing something here that's probably not what you're expecting. Um, so that's TypeScript, so that, that covers that side of it. Um, Quick question on just sure. to, to touch on one thing with TypeScript there that I'm curious of, like one of the like I haven't used TypeScript with Angular or any sort of Angular um, based apps before. So but it coming in from some other applications where like, say, if I'm using it with React or, or even React without um, uh, without TypeScript, you get a lot of sort of like linting that you can do at compile time oh, yeah. in in your not just in your your sort of back end code. But the, the biggest benefit I always got was being able to have compile time checks in your markup code in your components and stuff Um, because that's you know that was like 90 percent of the typos that i would make is something in the (laughs) html not in like the back end code for sure can you can you get that same experience in in your actual views with ionic yep so angular the angular team released um and i am totally blanking on the name of this tool now but uh yeah i can't remember the name of the tool at, at the second but they released a tool the angular um something other cool project um, they released a tool that basically, um, it can look through your HTML templates in your Angular app and, um, and tell you like, um, so, you know, you're, you're binding to this value here. Um, you're expecting it to be an array, but somewhere along the line, you're passing a string. You should probably fix that. Right. Um, cause you try to, uh, you know, iterate over a string, you're going to get a lot different values than you would iterating over an array. Um, so yeah, it, it provides that those, those cool features. Um, and it's, it's actually just a VS code plugin that you can install. So and nice. I think there's an Atom version too. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, those are always the the biggest ones. And especially for an app like that, where 
if you're going to ship something into the store, you don't want to have like your your types doing weird things <laughs> in your views in front of a user. You want to catch that. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And also, one key point uh, to point out too is um those types that you're writing at at you know development time, those don't actually end up in your source code. Um, so you know JavaScript it doesn't have types natively, um, at least not yet. Um, and uh, so obviously you know shipping those wouldn't make any sense. Um, but TypeScript is able to make some optimizations, uh, runtime optimizations, based off um, the types that it's able to, to see and understand. Um, so yeah, that covers TypeScript. Um, so on the CSS side of things, we use a thing called SAS. So SAS is basically um, vanilla CSS, um, but with some added functionality on top that you can use if you want to. Um, so things like uh, variables, which are actually in the browser now, so CSS variables. Um, Functions, which I never used because I really suck at CSS, but um, <laughs> but uh, functions allow you to do cool things like, uh, hey, if this one thing is a certain color, um, make this other thing this color. Um, really cool um, kind of features on top of CSS. But just like TypeScript, the cool thing is if you don't want to use those features, totally don't have to, and you can just write vanilla CSS. Oh, and also my favorite feature, um, nesting. So instead of doing like um, traditionally, you would do like uh, you know this div space uh, this whatever. Um, you can just like nest all your CSS. So you can say like you know homepage, and then in inside of that rule, have a bunch of other rules for elements inside of that page. Um, so it allows you to do cool scoping that to me looks a little bit better and is easier to read than uh, you can normal CSS. Um, but like I said, if you just want to write normal CSS, it's totally cool. It just works. Um, and then the HTML side of things. So Angular uses HTML templates, whereas like things like React use JSX. Um, but there are HTML templates, so it's it's HTML that is you know just you write you know like H1 for a header, uh, etc. There are some cool things that like Angular adds on top of that. So they have like bindings to where you can like bind to a value. Um, then they have these things called directives. So you can do like a ng model, which um, in Angular two kind of emulates like that two-way binding that you uh, might be familiar with from Angular 1. Um, or you can do like ng class to do dynamic, you know, CSS classes. Um, ng4 to allow you to like iterate over an array, whereas in React, you would just use a for loop. ng4 is kind of like some syntactic sugar on top of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's still standard HTML, but Angular adds some like cool directives and stuff that you can use on top um, to uh, give you some cool like functionality. So since it's all you're talking about like CSS and everything here in your app, like does theming come kind of free with Ionic? Is it are you just kind of doing simple CSS theming, or do you have some kind of construct on top of that in Ionic? Yep. Sure. Yeah. So we have a bunch of SAS variables that um, you can use to change different things about the uh, theme of your app. So like if you want to change, um, so we have color variables for example. Um, out of the box, the primary color is ionic blue. So if you go to like ionicframework.com, the blue that's everywhere, um, that's going to be the primary color. But you can actually change that. So I've seen, uh, especially a lot, a lot with bigger apps that have like a, a brand that is, you know, specific to the app. So like with Untapped, um, which is a cool app built with ionic, um, it, the, the primary color is yellow. And you can actually go in and like change our CSS primary color to be that, you know, untapped yellow. And then you can just use that variable across your app. And we have a whole list. If you go to ionframework.com, go to our docs and look at theming, you can see the huge list of uh, SAS variables there. Um, but you can uh, tap into all these SAS variables to uh, change the colors and widths, et cetera, of components inside of, uh, inside of Ionic. Um, so Ionic built components like Ion Button or something. But if you don't want to like use those SAS variables or something like that, and you just want to you know, go the old school route of like Ion Button, uh, you know, background color, whatever, you can do that too, just because it's just web technology. So standard CSS that just like you, you I've always used totally works fine too. Um, but we do provide that advanced like theming functionality on top. And so you mentioned earlier, you know, Android, iOS, Windows as platforms that you support and that, you know, you could even target uh, like Electron apps. Like what does that look like? Um, using the Ionic controls and stuff, like if I want to build a, a Mac desktop app or an Electron desktop app, mm -hmm. app, what like what do the different controls that you provide look like, and how do they adapt to those systems? Sure. So we're actually um, this is actually a work in progress. So Electron is um, is a newer platform that we're that we're bringing into the Ionic space. Um, so we actually just hired somebody not too long ago to uh, help us make you know all of our components are, are traditionally mobile focused. 
um, to help make those components look a little better on desktop and uh, do some cool things. But we already have some of this built into the uh, framework already. So like, for example, a modal, um, which if you don't know what a modal is, if you go to like a, uh, what's a good app, um, like YouTube and you open your profile, the, the page that slides up, that's a, we call that a modal. Um, so Ionic has this modal that on, on a, a device looks like the, the modal that, you know, iOS and native Android have. Um, but on desktop, so either, you know, in your browser as a web app open on a desktop or an Electron, it actually shrinks down using some CSS media queries to uh, look more like a, um, like a modal. Uh, so like if you're on Twitter and you hit, hit the tweet button, the, the little box that pops up um, looks more like that. Um, and then like we have a grid component that wraps uh, Flexbox that allows you to, you know, space. So uh, you can say like on mobile, just make this like a vertical list on a bigger viewport, like a tablet or a desktop, you know, expand it out to uh, look something like Trello or something like that. Um, and then uh, we also have a side menu. So our, our menu on desktop or a tablet, it, uh, it looks like, a, so if you ever have like a big Android tablet or an iPad, most apps that have side menus, if you turn the, the, the iPad landscape, uh, the menu is out all the time. Um, so our menu does that. Um, so yeah, there are some things already built in to look better on desktop and, and give good desktop support for our components. And we're actually working on steadily improving those. Nice. So, that, I mean, that covers a lot of a lot of things that are probably pretty similar, I would say, across, say, iOS and Android and even desktop and stuff. What about some other things like like maybe, you know, differences in platforms of like tab bar location? Well, I guess tab bar is almost converging. Yeah. Where, uh, <laughs> Android's Android's coming around. Yeah, been closer to iOS side. So, so I'll pick a different one, like something like a floating action button on Android or... Or even things like like gestures, especially you, you take you know John's new iPhone 10. That that thing's all about gestures <laughs> and stuff, right? So you it have to use is. gestures to get around on that. So like, what sort of compensation is there for those sorts of things? Definitely. So all of our components built into the component, and I, I just want to point out like this isn't stuff that you have to like do as a developer or like specify as a developer. It's literally just like built into the components. Um, we're all all about like built-in defaults and best practices at Ionic. Because I, I feel like you shouldn't have to know this stuff. Like, it should just be handled for you. Um, so, um, yeah. So, a good example is, like, floating action button. So, there's not really a floating action button on iOS. Um, now, I haven't used iOS in a while, but I have never seen an uh It's an Android thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but, and so, something in, like, that case where there really isn't, like, a native version of it. Um, you can either, we have some, like, classes that allow you to um, say, like, hey, on iOS, just hide this button. Um, and on Android, show it. So you can go that route. Or in our in our built-in CSS um, on iOS, a, a floating action button. So instead of having like the shadows that are traditional to like material design, um, it will be a more flat design um, that looks a little bit more iOS-y. Um, another good example is like header. So on, on Android, headers have shadows underneath them. Um, they have a different text size, different color or different um, dimensions, et cetera. Um, so our header, all you have to do is write ion header and on an Android device, it'll look like, you know, an Android header and on iOS, it looks like the iOS header, no shadows or anything like that. Um, gestures is actually a cool thing. So on iOS, um, swipe to go back is a thing that's never really been a thing on Android. Um, we have that built in. So like on Android, you know, you go between pages and you're there clicking on tabs or clicking on the side menu, et cetera. On iOS, you can swipe to go back between pages. Um, so that's like built into the framework. You don't have to do anything. Um, side menu, for example, on Android, the side menu is an overlay side menu that has a nice shadow to it. Um, on iOS, it's like, I call it like the push out style of menu or like where it kind of pushes the, the main view over instead of overlaying it. Um, and all that's, like I said, it's all just built in. Like it, it's just there um, and it's, it's built right into the components. Also, a kind of another cool thing that we added kind of recently. Um, so iOS has this, uh, it uses a lot of like haptic feedback mm -hmm. or a, like touch feedback to where like you press something and it, it kind of vibrates. Um, we built that into a lot of our components. So we, uh, we have Manu who actually works remotely. He lives in Spain. He's a big iOS person. And he implemented uh, that haptic feedback into our components. Um, Android also kind of has the same thing. Um, and you can turn it on if you want, but not. it's not as like implemented. It's not as ingrained kind of into Android. So all, by default, it's off in Android. But um, yeah, we, we cover, it's not just design, it's also like gestures, like swipe to go back, um, et cetera. 
Also, just speaking on the iPhone 10, um, we implemented iPhone 10 support. So the crazy notch that is there, our stuff will, uh, <laughs> our stuff now, like, you know, has the correct whatever CSS rules to make it, you know, go around the notch like it's supposed to. Um, the tabs aren't over the the black bar where you swipe up to go to the app switcher or something. Our tabs are moved up just like a native iOS app that has iPhone 10 support. Um, so yeah, and even like the tabs, the tabs are on Android. When you click a tab, it animates like the icon animates out a little bit on iOS. It's more of just like a, just static thing. Um, and our, our tabs handle that right out of the box too. So what does it look like for things, um, that are more native to each platform? Like I'm thinking iOS and Android handle background, um, fetching and background tasks quite differently. Like what does that look like for a developer perspective with Ionic? For sure. So that's a good question. Um, so like making fetches, for example. Um, so Ionic, you know, it's actually technically in Cordova, it's running in the web view, right? So you're just going to use the fetch API and just, you know, it would work just like, uh, you know, Chrome on your desktop or if you're uh, if it's running on iOS device, just like Safari does on the desktop. Now, you can tap into like Cordova plugins. Um, so Cordova plugins allow you to delve into these native like background process features and stuff like that. It's where you can do like geolocation in the background, et cetera. Um, at that point, it's up to the plugin to like handle the differences between each, uh, you know, platform. Um, and, uh, but the cool thing is since the plugin is, you know, it's abstracted away through JavaScript, um, you don't actually have to worry about that as a developer. Um, it's usually just handled by the plugin and the docs. If there's anything weird, the docs for the plugin will tell you like, uh, Hey, you know, look out for this on iOS or look out for this on Android. Um, we actually have Ionic native, just speaking about plugins for a minute. Um, Ionic Native is all kind of our uh, plugins that we like, you know, recommend and, and support. Um, they're all, uh, they all have like nice Angular um, wrappers around them, Angular TypeScript wrappers. Um, and uh, yeah, it has really nice APIs and really do really good docs for all the uh, common Cordova plugins. And then even some that I would argue really aren't as common, um, but are still really important um, plugins uh, for your app. You know, I was going to ask if you, you know, just out of the nature of, of what you're doing, have contributed a lot or been involved in a lot of that like level of Cordova than uh, creating plugins and maintaining stuff and kind of pitching. Definitely, it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like WK WebView is a good example. Um, so WK WebView, that's like the newer, more modern WebView in iOS. Um, we have Manu, one of our, our framework developers, he did a ton of work on the WK WebView plugin um, to get it up to a... Uh, good usable standard that is not really specific to Ionic, but even if you just wanted to use vanilla Cordova or, you know, whatever, um, you would still get the same, same benefits. Um, and then, yeah, Ionic native is a huge project that, uh, I feel like has, has improved the, uh, Cordova landscape for sure. That's also not, it's called Ionic native, but it's actually not technically, uh, limited to just Ionic. Nice. So, so let's jump to the, the developer experience side of things a little bit. So like what, you know, I'm a developer, I'm coming in, I say, this all sounds really awesome. I want in, um, you know, what is that like file new project experience? Like what tools do most Ionic developers use? Like what, what does that look like? Yep. Um, so, uh, so first of all, um, ionicframework.com slash getting started, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, it's pretty much the same tools you would use for any modern JavaScript development. Um, so you're gonna have to have node installed. Node is just the, the V8 uh, JavaScript engine that's in Chrome, but separated out from Chrome, and you can write like CLI tools with it, et cetera. Um, you're going to need NPM, which comes along with Node. NPM is the uh, package manager for JavaScript. So if you're uh, like Ruby has like gems, um, uh, JavaScript has uh, NPM packages. Um, so you're going to need yeah, Node, NPM. If you want to build Cordova apps with Ionic, um, you're going to need Xcode on a Mac or uh, uh, Android Studio and uh, VS Code or Android Studio on a, uh, on a uh, Windows device, or a Mac for that example. Um, so yeah, once you have those things set up, um, you're gonna NPM install Cordova. So um, we wrap the Cordova tools with our CLI. Um, and then the cool thing, the exciting part, NPM install Ionic. So that's our CLI. Um, so the CLI handles a lot of like things that you wouldn't wanna handle yourself. Um, so for example, it wraps the Cordova tools and allows you to do things like Ionic Cordova build Android which will build an Android, an APK that you can ship to the uh, Play Store from your source code. Um, you can do Ionic Serve, which uh, pops up your app in the browser. So the cool thing about Ionic is we're built with web technologies. So you can build your UI and pretty much anything that's using a web API actually right there in the browser without having to run it on a device. Um, and then when you're ready to, to take that, you know, 
step to the device, you can uh, run it on your device using the CLI. And it's all just commands, uh, you know, that you just run in your terminal. And it, uh, yeah, it makes our, it's, it's really one of my favorite parts about Ionic because it makes a lot of things that can be complicated extremely easy. Um, it also has tie-ins to our Ionic Pro service, which is a, a paid, you know, service that a bunch of backend tools and stuff that you can use to uh, build cool apps. Um, and it also does things like uh, you can even do like Ionic Doctor, which uh, tells you will tell you if something is messed up in your, you know, dev environment or, or project, or you're missing something. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, so once you get that CLI uh, installed, you can do kind of a, there's like a, a famous command, Ionic Start. It's on the back of like uh, all the Ionic t-shirts. But uh, Ionic Start, um, and then uh, which starter you want to use, and then the name of your app. And it will get you, uh, so literally with that one command, you get an app that you can then run in the browser, or you could just build it straight to your device right there. Um, and it's, yeah, one command, and you technically have a full app that's ready to go right there. So what's it look we like have, if I want to start debugging my app? Do like do, do most people use VS Code or or what's the the landscape there? Like it's all TypeScript, right? So I should be able to debug that. Yep. Um. So yeah. So we have source maps. Um. So the since so you know at the end of the day, an Ionic app it, it can run in Cordova, but it's really just a web app, right? Um. So you can just use the same tools that you use to debug your website. So like Chrome Dev Tools. Um. So I I'm a big Chrome user. I love Chrome Dev Tools. So uh, that's what I use to, you know, debug my apps. We have source maps. So even though it's, it's uh, you know, compiled JavaScript that's actually running in the browser, the source maps, you know, look like the code you're actually writing. So you can see where exactly something's going wrong. Um, and then uh, on Android, for example, you can do Chrome inspect so that you can see the actual, like, so if you have your app running on the device, you can get console logs, you can, you know, uh, inspect elements, et cetera. Um, on an iOS device, you can use uh, Safari to do the, the same thing as long as you have Xcode installed. Um, so it's it's that's one of my favorite parts about Ionic too is if you're if you're building websites and stuff and you're already using like Safari DevTools or Chrome DevTools to debug your websites and web apps, you do the same thing to debug your apps in uh, in Ionic. And if uh, for example you do run into something that's going wrong with the native side, which normally only happens if you're using a old unsupported Cordova plugin or something like that. Um, then you could use technically like Android Studio to get those those logs too. Um, but yeah, usually it's just using Chrome DevTools or Safari DevTools, whatever you want to. Yeah, just like you would debug a website. Nice. And and you mentioned uh, VS Code a couple times. So is that do you find that that's one of the more common environments that people go to, or you know, are they using Atom or Sublime or anything else that's out there? Definitely. So um, key thing is you can use whatever editor you want to. So any uh, any editor that you know you would write JavaScript HTML and CSS with normally, you can use that to build an Ionic app. Um, the reason we kind of like, I wouldn't say we officially recommend it, but pretty much everybody in the office uses it. And any anytime anybody asks me about, hey, what editor should you use? I always say VS Code. Um, first of all, it's just a really nice product. Um, uh, second of all, it has really great built-in TypeScript support. So something like Atom, which is also a great editor, um, you actually have to install a plugin to get TypeScript support. And I found that while the plugin's great, it's not as good as the built-in support in VS Code. Um, so yeah, it's, we don't really have like an official editor, but if we did have one, it would probably be VS Code. Um, and also VS Code is cross-platform too. So it doesn't matter if you're running a, a Mac or a, a, a Surface or something like that, uh, you know, whatever Windows or even uh, Linux if you want to. Um, VS Code is, is the same across platform. And that's because it's running on Electron and using web technology. And Sorry. it's it's way better now that the icon is blue again, right? Is that true? <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're like me, I actually I have a Surface Book that I use and a MacBook Pro. Um, uh, Visual Studio Code gives me the same editor experience uh, on both platforms. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of code as well. It, it's really it's been fun to watch the last couple of years of like this reproliferation of of some Microsoft stuff through a lot of communities that for many years just would you know snub their noses at, at Microsoft or anything coming out of Microsoft. But now you're talking about using, you know, Angular and web technologies built in VS Code with TypeScript, which was out of Microsoft too. It's just, it's really interesting to watch like the the sea change a little bit. It's fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, uh, we, yeah, we've talked to some, some, we've worked with some people from Microsoft before. Great company. Uh, they're doing some really cool open source stuff. Um, Edge, which is uh, so much better than IE11. Um, 
it's uh, yeah, cool stuff coming out of Microsoft lately for sure. So, you know, so having, having been in the, the mobile world for a while, like, you know, and, and having been a web developer that, you know, got into mobile and, and having coached a lot of people who were, you know, starting a web dev and going into mobile, uh, there's just a lot of differences in, in these native platforms to doing web development, which, which can be a little bit of an impedance mismatch sometimes when you're, you're starting to use these sorts of frameworks. Um, so is there anything that you would say that web developers should just be really aware of when starting to build a, you know, an app in Ionic? Is there anything, you know, any like catches or gotchas, anything like that? For sure. Yeah, that is a really good question, actually. Um, so I'm a uh, hardcore performance advocate. Um, and I think so one of the and, and we're doing a lot of work to, to make this uh, super easy and really hard to, to get uh, get stuck in. Um, but a lot of things, um, if you're coming from like a, a normal development, like web dev background, it's where you're mainly building websites that, you know, are most people are going to be using on a desktop. Um, it's really important that you understand that mobile devices um, are a totally different game uh, from a, a MacBook Pro, for example. Um, so it's, it's, there's kind of two sides of this, right? So first you have to remember that, um, you know, here in the U S it's the mobile environment's way different than outside of the U S. Um, so, you know, here in the U S, you know, we have like really nice phones, um, and we're, you know, lucky enough to be able to, you know, buy like an iPhone 10 or uh, pixel two or something like this, which is a really nice device. iPhone 10 especially has, you know, like a desktop class CPU, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you can get away with shipping a good amount of JavaScript and doing some really hardcore computation on the main thread on a device like that. But outside the U.S., you know, it's it's a different story. And even here in the U.S., not everybody has, uh, you know, an iPhone 10 or a, a brand new Android device. Um, so it's really important to remember that while you may be able to get away with, like, you know, processing images and stuff like that on the main thread on your MacBook Pro on a mobile device, that's just going to, like, melt your CPU, right? Um, and it's going to take up a ton of storage with all that JavaScript, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I would say one of the biggest things is just understanding that on a mobile device, you know, CPUs are limited, RAM is limited, storage is limited. Um, uh, and, uh, you need to, you know, make sure that you are thinking about things like, Hey, should I install this, you know, huge third party library? That's a, you know, couple of hundred kilobytes just for some date functionality, or should I look, or, you know, or should I look for something that's, uh, maybe built into the browser or a smaller library? Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that's one of the hardest, uh, hardest things is just understanding that like on mobile, you are limited on CPU and RAM and storage, and you really don't want to do something that, you know, uh, from like a progressive web app experience, um, you know, you don't want to ship, you know, a couple of megabytes of JavaScript that could potentially blow someone to blow someone's data plan away in one, you know, one download, um, on mobile, you actually have to like think about those things. Whereas on my MacBook, you know, I can sit there and just chug through tons of JavaScript in, you know, a couple of seconds because it's just an i7 and you know 16 gigs of RAM. Right. Well, you can't ship a mobile app without the the left pad NPM package, right? Like that's, <laughs> that has to be in everything, I assume. <laughs> yeah. So that that's like my my biggest soapboxes. And you know, if you follow me on Twitter, um, uh, yeah, that's I think that's just the most important thing is making sure that. You understand that mobile is is limited in uh, in computation power, and also making sure that you don't do all of your testing, uh, you know, on an a thousand dollar phone. You should probably test on something that is is more uh, what most people have. Do you find that's kind of a, a challenge to get users to accept that? Like, especially I'm, I'm thinking about you're you're doing a lot of testing like in your browser on your desktop. Um, yep. So I, I can imagine that being kind of uh, difficult getting people to kind of go out on a device and actually do some more testing there. Definitely. It, it, it can be. Um, so Chrome does, uh, the Chrome development uh, team has done some amazing things around this. So Chrome DevTools has uh, CPU throttling and network throttling built in to where you can throttle your network to be like, you know, an average 3G network. You can uh, do up to six times CPU throttling in the latest build of Chrome to give you more of that, you know, feel of what your app would actually feel like on a mobile device. Um, so having those things built into the browser definitely helps. But I always tell people there's nothing beyond, you know, like getting a Moto G or something like that, like an affordable, you know, average device, putting your app on the device and just, you know, playing with it and seeing how it feels. Uh, the cool thing is if you can optimize for that low end device, then on an iPhone 10 or like a Pixel 2 or something like that, it's just going to be blazing fast because um, you're optimizing for the lowest end of things. So on, you know, a nicer stuff like a, yeah, like an iPhone 10, it's just going to be amazingly fast. But yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but it's it's it it's changing. 
So we've talked a lot about the the core framework, um, and you mentioned a little while ago that there was like some hosted services and stuff that you do. So I think we should probably touch on those too this episode. Um, what exactly do you offer for developers that beyond the core framework? Definitely. Um, so uh, Ionic Pro is our. So for a long time, Ionic was all open source, etc. Um, then we figured out, hey, we should probably make some money, right? <laughs> um, so, no. uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, still love open source. All of our stuff is, you know, 90% of our stuff is still open source, et cetera, but we do have this, uh, Ionic pro suite. Um, so this is, I like to describe it as like a suite of like backend kind of cloud tools that tie right into, you know, helping you make a, a great app. So for example, um, one of my favorite features that we have is monitoring. So monitoring will actually, um, it's a, a pro feature. You turn it on, you, you install a Cordova plugin into your app. You turn it on in your Ionic Pro dashboard, which is a, a, a web app that you pull up in your browser. Um, and that will actually monitor your apps in real time while it's running on people's devices and show you errors in your, in your Ionic dashboard and even give you the, the, the line, like the line number to the exact place in your TypeScript that something is going wrong. Um, so this is like, we've actually used it. So we have Ionic View, which is another kind of thing that uh, ties into Pro. So Ionic View is a cool way to share apps that you're building with coworkers, clients, et cetera, without them actually having to download the app. So you don't have to ship it to the Play Store and then get them to download it from there. You just put it on the Ionic View real quick. You turn it on in your dashboard and then boom, they can see it and give you feedback. But anyway, so when we shipped View, uh, we actually shipped it with, there's a kind of significant bug in there but we were able to fix it basically immediately because we had monitoring turned on in the app and we were immediately able to see like, hey, something's going wrong. This is the exact line of code where something is going wrong. Got it fixed, pushed a new update uh, and boom, things are fixed. Um, so, and also part of that story is we, all, we have a deploy service. So this is a lot of people's favorite uh, service that we have in Pro. Deploy allows you to push uh, native or push updates to your app without having to push an update to the Play Store or App Store. So um, if you have anything on the JavaScript side of things that is broken, so uh, anything, you have a, a UI issue or a, uh, a you're getting a JavaScript error, et cetera, um, you can fix that locally on your machine. Um, you could then, I would say, use Ionic View to get someone to test it out beyond yourself. Um, and then you can use Ionic Deploy to deploy that update live to all your users right there from the dashboard without having to wait on Apple to tell you it's okay, without having to wait on Google Play to tell you it's okay, um, because we're only touching the web layer of things. Now, if you have something going wrong in the Cordova plugin, you would still need to do a traditional update. But Vue handles 70 to 80% of the issues you might run into. So this inc increases the development period between, uh, you know, normally it would really suck if you ship something something's really broken and then you have to sit there and wait for three or four days while, before Apple accepts your update. Um, with Vue or with Deploy, you just immediately can fix it. Um, basically, as fast as you can fix it on your machine is as, as fast as you can get it out to your users. Um, so that covers Vue, uh, Deploy, monitoring. Uh, we also have this thing called Ionic Dev App, which is integrated into the pro suite of things. It actually is a free app, so you, don't, you can use it for free, but it's integrated into the suite of uh, Ionic Pro Suite. Um, and this allows you to develop from just running Ionic Serve, which normally would just allow you to develop in the browser, but it actually runs the uh, runs the app on your phone. So you can uh, you can then Ionic Serve live reloading, etc. But actually being able to use Cordova plugins too. Um, so that's that's a newer thing that we released that I think is pretty cool. Um, let's see, I'm sure I'm missing something here. Um, we have deploy monitoring. Yeah, it's so basically Ionic Pro is this uh, suite of tools. Um, that uh, also it has some stuff like Teams and stuff like this that allows you to organize your code and you can have different channels. So you can have like a production channel and you can deploy off of that channel. And then you can have like a development channel that says like, you know, this is my development channel. Something might be broken on it, but this is what I'm using to test. And you can push, you know, push to that channel, et cetera. It's a, it's a very, very cool, uh, very cool suite. It's, it's being, uh, it's going really well, uh, a lot better than we thought it was going to. And um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, we also have some newer things coming up that I can't really talk about yet, but it's going to be pretty cool. Some newer features that we're adding, um, that we should be announcing relatively soon. So, and if you follow me on Twitter, sometimes I hint around at things. So 
Um, nice, nice. Very secretive. Uh, but one of the, the one of the things that I assume is not a secret because I just found it on the website um, was uh, the creator app that was mentioned there ah, that yep. that seemed pretty interesting. So so it looks like that's a, a sort of visual way to to prototype apps. Yep. So earlier I mentioned Kodika was like our original like drag and drop make a mobile app, but not have to really know how to code thing. Um, so creator is the uh, the the uh, modern version of that, right? So it's a drag and drop tool that allows you to build Ionic apps, um, but through just dragging and dropping uh, components. So you can say like, hey, I want to put this button right here. You literally click on the button in the UI of the web app, drag it over and boom, it's in your app. Um, it also has code support so that you can add, you know, certain functionality and stuff like this um, right there in the in the web app. Um, and then you can uh, export your app and then build it on your computer and, you know, ship it to devices. So it's just a cool like drag and drop way to uh, to build uh, apps, and uh, I, it's cool too. So it's mainly like you know for beginner whatever that is focused uh, product, but um, I find it cool too if you're um, you know making apps for clients. So say like you're a freelancer, you're working in a, a company, and you want to you know do a quick mock up to send to your designer or uh, you know send to your client or to your boss, etc. You can use uh, you know Ionica or you can use Creator to quickly, you know, drag and drop without having to open up editor, write a bunch of HTML, et cetera, just drag and drop real quick, put together some views, um, and, you know, ship that off to whoever you need to see it so that they can, uh, give you some design feedback or whatever, um, just makes that experience a lot faster. Right. Is that sort of the, the ultimate vision for, for what creator is like really just around that quick prototyping or would, could you imagine a future, like one of the, there's always that big divide between like some of the awesome tools available for say your design team of things like Sketch or Zeppelin or a lot of those even have like really interactive modes you can put them in, um, and I can imagine sort of a world where you could bridge those those gaps and have a designer working in like Zeppelin and then push that into an Ionic app or something like that, right? Definitely. Um, so it's mainly used for prototyping, I would say. Although we have had people build their entire apps in Creator, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, but in the current iteration of it, that's the key part, current iteration, um, it's, it's, mainly, it's mainly a prototyping tool. But it's, it's important. It has code support, et cetera, so you, you can build an entire app with it. Um, so it, you know, it has multiple use cases. You can build your entire app with it, but it also has this really cool feature of allowing you to, you know, to um, so kind of like you mentioned, you have a designer, right? And they might not know, you know JavaScript, et cetera, but they know how to make things look nice. Um, so, you know, creator gives you that drag and drop to where you don't have to know JavaScript, you don't have to know HTML, et cetera, but you can still build a mobile interface and then you can ship that to your, uh, you can actually export it, which exports it out to the HTML and stuff that you would normally write. And you can ship that to your development team and say, Hey, I built DY for y'all. You know, this is what it's, this is what it looks like. Um, you know, can y'all start implementing the functionality? So what's the, this, uh, pro services set of tools cost? Uh, so I'm not really a salesperson. Um, definitely not a salesperson actually. Uh, but, um, we have multiple, um, multiple, uh, pricing. It just depends on, you know, what your team looks like, et cetera. We have a, a, a free tier too. Um, if you're just getting started, you want to try it out, et cetera. Um, and then we have team or we have plans that go for every day, you know, you know, one or two, uh, team, you know, freelance teams or something like that up to, you know, big corporations and, and big teams. Um, so you can go to ionicframework.com slash pricing. Um, and it's, it's right up there in the, the header, um, if the URL is not correct, but, uh, yeah, it's, we have some, some pricing that I think is, you know, pretty competitive and reasonable <laughs> for sure. And, uh, yeah, you can, if you're interested in pro, you can go online, go to our site, ionicframework.com. You can contact our salespeople through there and we can work with you and, uh, come up with something that, that works for you. Nice. So, so we've gone through, you know, the framework and a lot of the tools and, and products that you've built around that. Um, and you sort of hinted at, at some cool stuff coming down the road that I'm, I'm guessing we're not gonna be able to squeeze out of you. But I mean, is there, is there anything you can share of, you know, what's sort of coming up next for, for Ionic Definitely. or what, what you're sort of ruminating on or working on? Definitely. So there's actually a good bit that I can share, um, especially on the open source side of things. Um, so, uh, so we, we, I mentioned earlier, we're moving to web components, right? So this goes back to um, we've always wanted to uh, to just make the dream was right where you could just say a ion button plop it into an HTML file don't have to you know not not in a framework or anything like that like just literally make an HTML file add a script tag plop in a button and it just works 
Um, so um, while Angular is great, we're going to keep supporting Angular, et cetera. Really love Angular. Um, Web Components um, brought you know that kind of dream to, uh, to light. Um, so Web Components, if you don't know, really quick, they're basically just a, a set of uh, APIs that are built into the browser that allow you to build components um, that without having to use a library or framework or anything, and they literally just run right in the browser. Um, so uh, yeah, so we're in the in the process of uh, porting Ionic to all web components. So either all the Ionic components you already know and love, Ion header, Ion button, etc., port those to web components, um, and that way you can use them outside of Angular if you want to, or you can use them, you know in a WordPress site, et cetera. It doesn't matter because it's just web components. Um, so yeah, all those Ionic components that you know and love are being ported to web components. So we're calling that the Ionic core package. Um, so for example, if you like React, um, you could then use Ionic components in React or Preact or Vue or Ember or WordPress or jQuery, et cetera. doesn't matter. Um, so that's that's one step. Um, so that that's pretty cool. Um, the tool we're using to do that, so we looked at Web Components. Web Components API is really nice, but it's a little low level, right? Um, it's uh, there's some niceties that could be put on top um, for a pretty cheap, uh, you know, price and, and code size. So we built this thing called Stencil. Um, so we launched it at the last Polymer conference. Um, so Polymer is also a Web Components library. Uh, that team has been a huge help to us. Um, yeah, shout out to Polymer team. But um, they, uh, yeah, we built this project called Stencil. So Stencil is a Web Components compiler. It's just a library that um, adds some things like JSX, which if you're a React fan, you might be familiar with. Uh, decorators, which if you like Angular, you might be uh, familiar with those. Or um, Mobix, Mobix, if you're on the React side of things. There's also That library also uses decorators, I understand. Um, and uh, some other things like async rendering. And one of my favorite things, built-in lazy loading. Zero config needed. Literally don't have to touch anything. Lazy loading and code splitting is built in by default without having to touch anything. Um, so that's uh, that's a tool. Um, it's open source. You can use it yourself. You can build web components. You can build entire apps out of web components with it. Um, so that's Stencil. You can go to stenciljs.com, look at the docs. We have some demos, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's Stencil. Now, Ionic Angular 4 is going to use, so the same Ionic Angular that you already know and love. So if you like Angular, you want to stick with Angular, totally cool. Um, you can update your Ionic Angular 3 app to Ionic Angular 4, and all the Ionic components that are underneath the hood will be uh, web components. So we'll be using Ionic Core under the hood um, so that all the Ionic components are web components, but you're still writing Angular code. So this gives you some huge advantages around code size, so your bundles will be a lot smaller, which for a PWA are, is, is incredibly important. <laughs> um, it'll be faster with the async rendering, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll still get to use Angular. Um, but I, th I think, yeah, that's, so that's going to be really cool. And then you can use Stencil and Ionic Core um, to uh, also build, you know, complete apps out of web components. And that's going to get you even smaller um, and uh, even more kind of like PWA focused, if you want to call it that. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the open source side of things. We also have some other things coming to Pro. That's more of the stuff I can't really talk about. Um, but we have some cool PWA stuff. So we're, we're making a huge push towards progressive web apps. Uh, we think those are going to be a big part of the future. You're already seeing big companies like Starbucks, uh, which is one of my, I love caffeine, so Starbucks is awesome. Um, Starbucks, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, Uber, Lyft, Forbes, uh, et cetera, all building progressive web apps. Um, we are, you know, like I said, we've always been 100% web focused, and we see progressive web apps as just like the next like extension or iteration of that. Um, so we're going to be making a big push there, and we're adding some cool features to Pro. Um, that are really going to complete um, what I am throwing around is what I call the uh, Ionic PWA Toolkit. Um, so that'll be uh, Stencil App Starter, Ionic Core for the nice UI, Stencil for the logic and web components, and then this other thing for something else that's very important to progressive web apps. Awesome. Well, it sounds like there should be no shortage of things to, to have you back on the show once once you can actually speak to, <laughs> to all these, these top secret things. So we for might sure, just have to sure. do that. For sure, yeah. And um, actually, uh, we're doing an Ionic show tomorrow. Um, so you can uh, go on my Twitter. I'm at JustinWillis96 to see a tweet about it. Um, but tomorrow at uh, 3 p.m. Central Time, um, you can uh, join the Ionic show on YouTube. Like I said, the link is on my Twitter at JustinWillis96. Or if you follow at um, Ionic on Twitter, 
It's also there. Um, Ionic Framework, I mean, at Ionic Framework. Um, you can see what we're doing on Ionic Show. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that we just talked about um, and also be making a pretty huge announcement um, that I think people are going to like. Um, so yeah, Ionic Show tomorrow is going to be live streamed on YouTube. It's going to be pretty cool. Nice. So that'll be uh, probably a little bit before this episode actually comes out, but it, it will have no shortage of uh, stuff for the show notes for this episode, I think. Oh, yeah, so, like, no, fr- for sure. Frantically taking notes over here. So <laughs> lots, lots of cool stuff. For sure. Um, but but Justin, thanks so much for for taking, I, I don't know, an hour somehow flew by there, but uh, really I really appreciate right. you coming on to Talk Ionic. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. And I'm anytime in the future, just hit me up and I'll, I'll be glad to do it again. We'll make it happen. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Don Mobile.